today's scripture is Mark 11, 11 through 14. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit on it. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now may our hearts be prepared to receive this week's message from Pastor Don Thalman, titled, A Parable in Action, Jesus and the Fig Tree. And good morning, everybody, and welcome to 2024. 2024. Oh, my goodness. Let's pray. Lord, maybe these words from my mouth and these meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right. Well, you know, um, there's really nothing magical about January 1st for us to start making resolutions and, and goals for this next year, but it's just, it's just a natural break when you have a large period of time come to an end and a new one starting. That just is a natural place, though, for us to evaluate um, really what we should be striving to improve on in this coming period or in 2024. And notice I did say striving. I didn't say hoping to improve on in 2024, because, let's see, hoping to improve, really, it doesn't take much effort. It doesn't take much work. It's not a high level of commitment if you're just sitting there hoping for something, does it? But striving, the word striving implies that you're going to actually take some action. You're going to put some effort behind it, some elbow grease into it. You're going to be making some lists. You're going to be following up with those lists, coming up with tasks, because this is something you're going to work for, not something you're just going to sit there and hope for. Now, last week, um, Caitlin gave us a great reminder that our top priority and all of our goals should always be to love, right? And by the way, she set the bar really high for me today. Um, so when I'm done here, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to grab the mic and I'm going to sing a solo. <laughs> you do not want to hear that. But she did a great job, didn't she? But, uh, but anyway, so keeping love as our top focus for 2024 that's a great start, and it's really expected anyway, right? It's throughout the Bible, and we are kind of the love God, love people church, aren't we? And we're going to keep that going, aren't we? We're going to keep that going, aren't we? Okay, excellent. Uh, but from now until pretty much the start of Lent, we're going to be talking about other areas um, for us to take inventory of and decide what we need to work on, not what we want to work on, right? But what the Spirit's nudging us to work on 
for 2024. So let's jump into this week's message. Uh, we heard the story in the scripture read just a few moments ago about Jesus and the fig tree. And so I want to add some context to the setting here. Now, it says as they were entering Jerusalem, right? Well, just to put it in, in perspective, this is the day that Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. This was what we now call Palm Sunday. So this was the big event as he, as he comes into town. And Mark explains that once, once the fanfare had died down, they got to the temple, it was getting late, and so they decided, okay, we're going to call it a day, we're going to head back out to Bethany. Now, Bethany was where um, Zechariah or Lazarus and Martha and Mary all lived. So chances are good that he stayed out there with them, right? Now, the next morning, when they had left to head back to the temple in Jerusalem, they were leaving whatever, wherever they were staying, like I said, probably the home of Lazarus. Uh, the scripture in verse 12 tells us that Jesus was hungry, now, maybe he was off praying instead of having breakfast with everybody else. We really don't know. But fact is, Jesus was hungry. And he saw a fig tree along the road that was in leaf. Now, when a tree is in leaf, that basically means a tree is just full of leaves. All right? So it's just beautiful display of, of greenery there. So let me read that verse 13 to you as a reminder. It says this, Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Now, first thing to notice here, do you really think Jesus needed to go all the way over to this fig tree in the distance before he knew that it had no fruit on it? He's the one, he's the all-knowing. He didn't need to go to the tree in order to know that it didn't have fruit on it. But even so, what he did next must, must have absolutely shocked the disciples. Here's verse 14 again. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Can you imagine being the disciples and seeing this, this man that preaches love and care and nature? And they're like, did our teacher really just curse a fig tree? <laughs> did he really just do that? Because it didn't have any fruit on it, even though it's not the season for figs? I mean, what in the world's going on here? Now, not that this makes it seemingly less out of character for Jesus, but as fig trees, a little, little information on fig trees, as they become filled out with leaves, they produce a, a crop of small edible knobs called taquash. And it is a fruit. It's not tasty. So usually they would just let these taquash fall off the tree. And in that spot where the taquash was, that's where the fruit would form. Kind of like a, a lot of fruit trees have blossoms that then are the budding start for for the fruit to come. And so, um, and of course they're edible, but like I said, they weren't very tasty. But if the tree was full of leaves and there, no, there were no to quash on the tree, 
that was a sign that it would not bear fruit because it has to have the taquash on it in order for a fig to form later. Does that make sense? All right. So we have to ask the question, was Jesus really that hungry? Was he really that angry at a tree? Or was there something else going on here? You know, this is Jesus' only miracle of destruction. No other miracles have been documented where he destroyed things. This is the only one. Now let's skip down a few verses to chapter 11 of Mark, verse 19 through 21. It says, When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went back out of the city, uh, assuming back to Bethany. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the tree you cursed has withered. All right. So, so there's our story. And although the disciples were frequently accused of being a little thick when it comes to understanding Jesus' teachings, at this point, they started to get it. This is a teaching moment. It started to make a little sense to them. So let's break it down. You see, that this was really a parable in action. Usually, Jesus would simply explain and talk about the parables, but this one he acted out right in front of them. It was a powerful and symbolic uh, gesture that conveyed a message of judgment. In the Bible, the fig tree often symbolizes Israel. The prophets used it to represent God's people and their spiritual state, represent how fruitful the people of Israel were. By extension, this could represent each one of us indicating our spiritual health and our relationship with God. Thus, Jesus' interaction with this tree is a direct message to Israel and a lesson for all of us as the fig tree, as I said, its symbolism is throughout the Old Testament. Here's one of them. For example, uh, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13 says, I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree. And even the leaves will all wither. This imagery of a, fair, of a barren fig tree is used to illustrate the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel when they turned away from God. No fruit. You guys still with me? All right. Now, from a distance, going back to this tree, from a distance, this tree gave an outward appearance that it was healthy and it was growing and it was pleasing to the eye and all indications were from a distance that it was going to bear much fruit. But Jesus knew and he ended up showing the disciples that this tree was not healthy. See, God created this tree for a singular purpose, and that was to bear fruit. He didn't create it to be a fruitless tree for shade. And although the fruit wasn't in season, it's obvious by the condition of the tree that it would be fruitless. Now, going back to our scripture reading, do you remember where Jesus was going with his disciples when they left 
um, Bethany and were heading back into Jerusalem. Where were they actually on the road to? Who remembers the, the scripture? They were going back to the... They were going back to the temple, right? They were on their way to the temple that morning when he said he was hungry and he stopped by the fig tree. This is the time when Jesus cleared the temple that morning. Remember the story? Tossing tables, grabbing the bullwhip, chasing people out of the marketplace area. Very, very frustrating morning when he's looking at how people were reacting and treating the temple of God. Do you suppose there's a direct link between the cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple that morning, which was first stop on his list? Do you suppose he was giving them a preview of what was going on? The religious leaders and, and so many more, they made the show of how godly and righteous they were. Well, underneath everything, there was no fruit. It was all show and, and no go. You know, the Gospel of Luke tells about Jesus entering Jerusalem that same first night that we read a moment ago in, in Mark 11. Gospel of Luke does, and, and he goes in a little bit more depth with a little bit of a side story, and I want to read it to you here. This is... Um, Luke chapter 19, verse 41 through 45, says that as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. He knew that it is too late and peace was hidden from their eyes. Before long, your enemies will crush you into the ground because you did not recognize when God visited you. So the Father had created and called his people, Israel, to bear fruit in his glory, to bear witness in his majesty, and to worship him through their very lives. And yet they rejected him. And yes, they were going through the motions. They, they had the practices down. They knew the laws, right? They're following the laws. They appeared to have all the leaves they needed. But no fruit. As he entered the city of Jerusalem, the city appeared on the outside to be beautiful and healthy with all the right buildings and symbols and practices. But Jesus knew all too well that the nation, God's people, would be fruitless. All show and no go. And of course, his lessons for Israel are lessons for us, for you and me. Now, the good news is a few days later, Jesus bookends this learning of the fig tree with another learning. And by bookends, I mean he kind of rounds it out and gives us the solution and closes this, this story up. That's found in the book of John, chapter 15, verses 5 through 8. And Jesus says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You see that this is the remedy for the issue with the fig tree? Staying connected to Jesus so that we bear fruit. That picture of the branch and the vine is a picture of how we are to walk with Jesus. We were created and we've been redeemed in order to be used by God to bear fruit. We, we don't produce the fruit. He does, right? But he has chosen us as his branches to bear his fruit, the fruit of the spirits. So as I said when we started, I wanted to give us as much concrete uh, information as we can, a, a good starting place for each one of us to maybe take a note or two. And or when you get home, review and think about this and pray on this so that we can all be moving forward in the areas that we need to for 2024. So we're going to do a quick review of the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, we all know it really, really well. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Yes, against such things there is no law. So, folks, the only way to grow here is to be honest with yourselves. If you're not honest with yourselves, you're not going to grow. You've got to be honest about where you are. And this really is a self-evaluation we're going to be talking about here in just a second. So it's not for, you know, the spouse next to you to kind of elbow you, boom, boom. You really need to work on this one. Okay? <laughs> That's not going to be helpful. All right? Just be honest with yourself and with God. Figure out where you're at and what you want to work on. And then we'll, we'll get to that next part. But okay, so deep breath. We're going to start out with love. Just some quick, quick litmus tests to give you an idea, maybe, because we're talking about a spectrum, right? It's not you either have the fruit of love or you don't, right? It's really a spectrum. Where do you fall on the ideal where you know that Jesus wants you to be versus, you know, you've got big issues and need to fix it right, right now? right, is a, is a huge spectrum. And where do you fall in each one of these spectrums? And then you decide, okay, which one do I need to work on to get closer and closer to where Jesus, I know that Jesus wants me to be. Does that make sense? All right, so here's just some questions about love. Do others feel loved by you? Do others ever feel judged by you? Do people look forward to being with you? Or at times, do some people try to avoid you a little bit? Do you give others your time, talent, and treasures out of love? Or you do it out of a sense of duty? Just some food for thought. Just some food for thought. Again, this is a spectrum here. And guess what? None of us are here. If we were here, then in every one of these fruits, then we wouldn't need church, right? We wouldn't be sinners. Someday we'll be here. 
or not. So again, it's not about um, guilt or shame. This is about understanding where you are in your walk with this fruit that Jesus wants you to bear and what you can do to slowly keep moving that forward to where Jesus wants you to be, all right? Joy, do you do a lot of smiling or do you do a lot of frowning? <laughs> right, right. And are you more likely to be complaining and grumbling or are you being more hopeful and encouraging? That's tough, isn't it? Peace. Are you anxious and worried or calm and confident because you know that God's got this? I'm not saying take your hands off the wheel while you're flying down I-4. <laughs> God's got this. That's okay. He expects us to do what we can. But do what you can, and then are you confident knowing that God's got it? Patience. This one might be the toughest one for us, I think, because the way the world is, is take the path the world is taking us down right now, but urgent, in a hurry, running late. Do delays and interruptions drive you crazy? How about sitting in traffic? And I'm just... And I, and I need to apologize in advance if you're one of these people. I'm sorry. But my personal issue, one of the worst things in the world for me when it comes to patience, I'm driving down and I'm in a hurry. I'm okay, though. I'm pulling up to an intersection and the person ahead of me slows down because the light might turn yellow. No, what are you doing? I do my best not to say bad words. Oh, that's so hard for me. You know, that's so hard. <laughs> but, you know, I, had, I, I knew a trainer um, at a company I used to work for, and he was a third-generation trainer. And he used to tell me, he said, you know, and this was back 15-plus years, and he'd say, the world is losing its ability to be patient. It's losing its ability to be patient, and a lot of reasons for that. And in a training, he'd talk about patience, and he told me, and in this training, he'd say, you know, I'm a third-generation salesperson, and, and my father, my grandfather, and myself, we travel out of state for this, so it's not like just in the little area. And he said, my, my grandfather used to travel by train, and in the little town that they lived in, there was one train that came in and out to where he needed to go. And if he happened to miss that train, it's like, well, I'll have to come back tomorrow. Okay, he'd just go back home and do some work or whatever. His dad um, was much more fortunate. He was, he was in the age of the airplanes. He, he was able to fly for business. And so he'd be rushing there. If something happened, he didn't get to his flight, his flight would get canceled or he'd, he'd be too late for it, right? He's like, oh man, when's the next flight going? Oh, I got four more hours. He's like, okay, well, I guess I can wait four hours. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say the, the rotating doors at like the big hotels. It goes around in a circle and it's got like four different sides in it. You guys know what I'm talking about? 
He says, you know, I almost had my arm ripped off because I couldn't wait for one more section. I had to run to get ahead of this section so that I could be out because it saved me about a second and a half. He said, I got no patience. I can't wait a second and a half for that darn thing to, to swing around and give me another opening. You know, in today's world, we've got stores open 24-7. You can go home and place an order on, on Amazon. It'll be delivered to you this afternoon on some of the items. Our world is destroying our ability to be patient. We're not having to exercise it at all. My kids are home, and, and it's like, okay, they want to watch a TV series. How many remember after a cliffhanger, you had to wait like 26 weeks before you found out what happened? <laughs> they can't do that. They just binge watch the whole thing, right? Everything's on demand. This is a tough one, folks. The world is really training us that we don't need patience, but we do. It is a fruit of the Spirit, and we need to develop it. So I'll let you in on a little secret. The antidote for the lack of patience, more times than not, is going to be grace. Give grace to others. Give grace to yourself. All right? But patience is, is a virtue that is, uh, is quickly being eliminated from our world, and, and we as followers of Christ need to make sure we keep track of this and keep it in our mix of spiritual fruits we're working on. Next is kindness. How do you treat those that are last, least, or the lowest around you? You know, it's widely believed that animals and small children have almost a sixth sense about the kindness in people. So when you're out and about, do animals fear you? Bears do. <laughs> right? But do animals fear you? Or do they come up to you? Do, what about kids? Do they, do they see you? Do they see you as kind? Do they come up? Do they want to nuggle right in even though they don't know you? Or do they try to stay away from you because you seem a little grumpy? Kindness. Goodness. Do you hold the high moral ground while lifting others up? Or do you get there by putting others down? Faithfulness. Do you keep your word? Do others know that they can count on you? If you tell God you're going to do something, do you do it? Even after you've already got the benefit, right? <laughs> you've got a benefit and now you're just going to stop. No. Do you follow through on commitments to people? You don't follow through on commitments to God. How can you follow through on commitments to other people? And then self-control. Who is the master of your life and your desires? How much does the world drive and thus control your actions? How much control does the world have over you? And here's the thing, the world uses all kinds of deep psychology against you to make you think that you're in control, but you're not. The world takes a lot of control out of your hands. How are you going to gain it back? You know, I, I heard this saying once, and many of you might have already heard it as well, 
said, if you want God to be the author of your life, you got to let him have the pen. Right? Self-control. John 15, 8 said, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. His desire is that we bear much fruit. We were created to bear fruit so that others could see and others would be drawn as well. And the great thing is, while we're doing this, guess what? Guess what kind of life you're living? Guess what kind of the feelings you have each and every day when you're bearing all this fruit across the board and you're not grumpy <laughs> and your life is filled with joy and peace and patience. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Everybody wins except the evil one when we bear fruit. So what are we going to do with all this information? Are we going to go home and hope to improve in these areas? Or are we going to go home and make a list of things that we want to work on? It's a good time. You can always start out fresh and say, okay, I'm going to start working on this, right? But New Year's, it's just a good time to put this in place, isn't it? We're going to go home and start working on these things, maybe list, make a list, a task list of things I want to do. If you're not sure where to start, reach out to me. I'll be happy to help what I can. Or just reach out to a friend or you guys have groups here and you've got your brothers and sisters in Christ all around you and if you're comfortable, reach out. Say, hey, let's work on these things together. It's all good. It's all good, folks. But let's get to work because Jesus was not addressing a fig tree with that curse. He wasn't addressing, uh, he wasn't just addressing the religious leaders in the temple. He wasn't just addressing Jerusalem or just the people of Israel. He was addressing us, you and me, his believers, that he knew would come. He was addressing us. And he wants us to have authentic faith evidenced by being fruitful. And he wants us to do that by really grafting us and attaching to him like a branches to a vine. He created us to bear fruit in our lives, reflecting his love, his compassion, and his righteousness. So what does God see in our lives when he looks at us? I know what we hope, right? But what does he see when he looks at me? Does he, when he looks at you, does he, does he see this beautiful leafy plant, but a little light on some fruit? Or does he see this, this, this tree that is full, in full leaf, but it's bearing all kinds of fruit? And not only that, but you're working on improving it. What does he see when he looks at us? And what do you want him to see? Amen?